And that was when I found my passion. But it was by accident, right? I didn't know that that was my passion. I thought I was going to be working on climate change. And then they're like, just kidding, you're working on global hunger and you're going to be helping to negotiate stuff at the UN and Rome and everything. And I was like, mind totally blown. Welcome to the Stokecast, where each week we bring you an inspiring athlete, adventurer, or entrepreneur and dig into their stories and strategies for building and trying to balance work, life, adventure, and impact. I'm Jonathan Ronzio. And I'm Emily Holland. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Stokecast. This is Emily Holland. I have Jonathan Ronzio on the line with me. Jonathan, who do we, who are we, who, who are we today? Who are we chatting with? <laughs> <laughs> you, you want you want me to take the intro emily yeah so who are we talking to today who's this interview oh, with classic classic <laughs> e-halls i get so nervous if i start anyways who uh, who, who is right. it so today's episode is with kate van ways kate is the executive director of the american hiking society has a uh, pretty incredible background um, working with Bono's nonprofit, um, as well as working inside the U.S. Department of State on global global food security, and um, just she, she's kind of through and through been involved in in just nonprofits from science to the outdoors space, like global problems to the local level, uh, and has a really beautiful perspective on how how to think about you know one getting involved in in a cause, finding what you care about, and also uh how how to become a champion of that and of course we talk a little bit about what's going on in the in the world uh, you know in the state of the pandemic and post pandemic and how to approach that and what AHS, uh, ahs is doing and uh and also just a you know broader life philosophical questions around purpose and planning so this one's a really cool really fun conversation um I, and we hope you enjoy it Okay, Kate, thank you so much for joining us here on the Stokecast. We're really excited to chat with you. Um, I, I I would ask where you are, but uh, before we even get to where you are, I want to talk about what's wh- where it looks like you are because we're here on this uh, on on Skype and you've got this virtual background, which is fun. I feel like I should have put one up, but uh, but what's what's going on in, in your background here for those sure. that are watching the show, not listening. Yeah, because where I actually am is far less cool, which is self-quarantined in my house in suburban <laughs> Maryland. But where I am in my photo in the background is um, my husband and I, Mark, got engaged on the Grinnell Glacier Trail in Glacier National Park. And it's a really cool photo of us where it's like really snowy and you can't really see the glacier, but it looks like this beautiful winter scene. I was so cold. It was like over Labor Day. It was not supposed to be snowing yet. And I almost didn't go on the hike. It was a surprise. And I was like, no, it's really cold and wet out there. Let's just do something else. And I wondered why my parents and Mark were like really insistent. We're going to be hardcore and we're doing this anyway. Okay, fine. And then... (laughs) We got to the top and they wanted to take a, my dad was like, I need to take a picture of you guys. And I'm like, oh, come on. I just want to eat my sandwich and like get down because I'm cold. And my dad's like, get over there and take a picture. (laughs) And then then Mark got down on one knee and I was like, oh, that's why. Got it. (laughs) And then the ring wouldn't fit because I don't know if this happens to y'all, but when I'm hiking, like get up in altitude, my fingers swell. Mm -hmm. Yep. So then the ring wouldn't go on. So then he literally licked my finger to try to put the <laughs> ring on, 
which in the picture looks like he's kissing my hand and it looks very sweet. In actuality, he's licking my finger. Um, <laughs> in front so, of your mom and dad. So in front great. of my mom and dad and a bunch of other strangers who were clapping in the background. So, yeah. That is so That's funny amazing. that so yeah. um back in like 2016 yeah it was 2016 when I got engaged and I was in Europe and very similarly in uh in Belgium in Bruges trying to like I had this ideal vision of like bringing my wife to these beautiful like you know 1500s yeah. windmills and like walking through the cobblestone streets over this bridge and she was just a nightmare because because she was like she was hungry and we had a train to catch and and was like why are we not taking like a taxi to the train why are we walking an extra 35 minutes through this town dragging a suitcase and i'm like i'm like just just like let's you know we're just trying to enjoy the scene and it did like i ended up having to postpone until like that night when we got to somewhere else and she was just awful the whole day because of like because of like me trying to go out of my way to make it nice and and those things being like just normally what you wouldn't do right and totally. and so that was being totally. aggravating right so plus i mean she yeah. was hungry you totally know? like yeah. what are you gonna do for, hungry for, is a real thing absolutely that's like <laughs> anybody listening now who's planning a proposal please just like pack some snacks yeah <laughs> make sure the other person has eaten <laughs> right yeah <laughs> oh man well, that's definitely the first time we've talked about proposal stories, I think, on this the Stowcast. So that's where <laughs> so, we need a little romance in our lives right, right now, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, there's all these dark TV shows coming out, like Ozark and Waco, and all this stuff. And I'm like, I need some like rom coms coming out, really. Um, <laughs> sure, <laughs> for sure. Well, these are crazy times, and you know, by the time people listen to this, um, we'll maybe be in a different world. Who knows, really? Um, but you know, we wanted to start really with how you're seeing from the ED of the American Hiking Society, how you're really seeing people connecting with the outdoor world during this kind of insane, unprecedented crisis. Yeah, um, no, that's a good question because it really is, I think for, for those of us who have always spent a lot of time outdoors, it can feel um, at first, right? It feels really restrictive because you really want to go for a hike somewhere on your favorite trail, or you really want to go camping, or you really want to go climbing or whatever, and you can't right now, and it feels really restrictive. But then I think um, over time, I have come to more and more really appreciate the fact and really feel, I mean, I felt lucky about it before, but it's really sunk in more that I live in a neighborhood in suburban Maryland that has that is a a safe and beautiful neighborhood to walk around and people have nice lawns and gardens. But also um, I'm lucky enough to live in Montgomery County and Montgomery County really um, puts a lot of emphasis in funding its trails and has beautiful bridges over the rivers and just really nice, uh, really nice trail system everywhere. So I live near the Northwest branch of the Anacostia slash Rachel Carson Greenway trail and we can walk like 10 minutes and get over there. In fact, we had to do a little film today for another project about water filtering. And we just walked over with our toddler over to the river and, and did the film. Um, and so what I think, you know, what I am hoping that people realize is as they're getting outside, as they're enjoying their neighborhood as a way to kind of escape from the self-quarantine in your house and get your mental and physical kind of energy and health back. Um, I hope 
that people really realize that there are so many millions of people in the country that do not have that kind of access. They don't have a safe place to go outside. They don't have natural space in their neighborhood. They're living in small apartments in urban centers that can be really crowded. And for various reasons that we wouldn't have time to go into in a podcast, a lot of people have been disenfranchised. There is, you know, systemic and historic racism that ends up, you know, bleeding into everything, including your access to the outdoors. Um, And so, you know, I'm really hoping that this actually opens people's eyes to realize, oh my gosh, if I didn't have that, like, what would I do if I didn't have that? And to really want to fight with us, with American Hiking Society, to help improve people's access to natural spaces. Yeah, that's it's such a good point. And I've said this to my partner many times during this is, I have never been more grateful than, than during this time, you know, and, and that's not to discredit or uh, discount, you know, the, the challenges and, and really scary things that people are going through, but just kind of realizing how good we really have it um, in the places that we are. And, you know, the realization of, you know, smaller parks near you or, um, you know, going to local places that maybe you wouldn't have gone to before because they're safer and discovering new parts of your local areas that um, at a local level maybe need your help where, you know, you always see like the parks need help and the big areas need help, Mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily have that connection to like your local small parks. And so both grateful and then um, people maybe hopefully uh, exploring their local neighborhoods a little bit more. Um, I'm hoping that that is the case for a lot of folks. For sure. And there are, you know, if you do have little trails or kind of state parks or county parks or whatever near you, often there is a friends of whatever trail or friends of whatever park group that's a volunteer group that gets together and does trail work or cleans up the park or whatever. Um, And so those are really good to join. And now's a good time to actually be like, oh, I actually haven't really been paying attention to (laughs) what I need to do in my own local space. Um, but yeah, like I said, we're really hoping, we really want to call attention to the fact that not everybody has that in their neighborhood. So not only feel grateful for what you have and help protect that, but also make sure that others get to have that kind of access to. So that's what we'll be celebrating for National Trails Day this year, since we can't have uh, big events. Yeah, <laughs> yes, for sure. It's, I mean, it's interesting even to think like, it's not even just being grateful for the access to the outdoors or the trails that you might have around you, but like, grateful right now if you still have a job grateful if you have like food right Mm -hmm. um and i know that you part of your background was working with the u.s department of state and you were in the Mm -hmm. global food security office right Mm -hmm. like what's your perspective uh you know on that situation as related to obviously the mission that you have with with ahs and you know does with so many issues at hand right now, it's like how how to how does one cause stand up against another? Like where can people yeah. prioritize like what they're supporting and, and how to get involved? Right. Well, that is that is a multi layered question. It's a good one. <laughs> There's a lot of layers. Let me try to unpack it. So um, I think that there there are many complex problems in the world today. Right. So I did used to work on a more global scale issue. So I worked on uh, global hunger and then went at the State Department. And then when I moved over to the one campaign, that's Bono's nonprofit, I was working on um, poverty in sub-Saharan Africa writ large and alleviating uh, poverty 
in sub-Saharan Africa. So um, those are obviously big scale problems and you kind of attack them in big coalitions with many nonprofits and governments and others that are all playing a different role and you kind of work together in this hopefully, but not always of course, synergistic system that helps solve these like big problems. Um, and, you know, I think um, whether you kind of, when you're prioritizing, well, and I guess I should say, I know I'm talking over myself, but I guess I should say uh, this global pandemic is only obviously going to exacerbate all of those issues, right? And there are many, many, many kids in the world and many, many kids in the U.S. who get a lot of their food from school feeding, from school feeding programs that aren't happening right now because schools are closed. Um, so this is, you know, this always, any kind of pandemic like this, any kind of global crisis hits the hardest those who were already hit the hardest, right? It already hits the most vulnerable. Um, so because of that, almost anything you decide that you want to, uh, almost any organization you decide you want to give to now or where you want to volunteer your time or whatever, even if it's not directly like handing out masks or doing something really specific with COVID is still making a big difference right now because all of those underlying issues are still there. And all of the things you cared about before, you're still going to care about afterwards and are still happening and still need to be solved. So I don't know that a crisis like this even necessarily needs to make you reorganize those priorities, right? You might sit and think about what are my priorities right now, um, because now is the kind of time when we're thinking about that. Um, but yeah, all those issues are still happening. So I think really what you want to put your volunteer time in and your money and everything is what captures you, what makes you feel the most passionate. Because that's what you're going to give your best self to anyway. I don't think there's you need to find a, a charity or nonprofit that you feel like you have to give to. I think you should yeah. give to the one that captures your heart. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Captures your heart. That's a good, I mean, that's a good North Star for anything, right? But that, that, that's a good <laughs> reminder. Um, I think particularly one of the things that we are trying to uncover and, and talk about a little bit more, and, and I'm trying to personally go through it in my head, is how much emotional capacity do I feel like I have um, or or any one individual person to like think beyond the impact of my personal life and my personal like unit, like my family and the people around me that I, um, not physically around me, but the people in my life who are vulnerable or whoever, there's this huge, you know, layer of anxiety, uh, fear and around health, around, um, finances in a lot of cases and around food. And so people like us who, who maybe are still, they still have jobs and um, they still have a sense of, or source of income who just, I, I, the, the emotional capacity just doesn't seem to be there to feel like these other pieces are still important. Right. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering what you think about that and how you've seen people or maybe how you're dealing with like, I'm so existentially worried about the, this huge thing. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to focus over here where I know this is so important, but it's just like, I can't get my head around that. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah. of course. I think, I mean, I don't know about you, 
But for me, it is how I'm reacting to all of this happening just personally as Kate um, changes not only a day-to-day basis, but sometimes an hourly basis, right? Like mm-hmm. I might wake up in the morning and feel like, oh gosh, I'm having this like total existential crisis about all of this and nothing is ever going to be quote unquote normal again and we're stuck forever. And, you know, and then later, like, you know, I have some breakfast and then I have this really great meeting where we're solving this really great problem. It's like, cool. Okay. All right. I've got stuff to, to focus on. I can do this, you know? (laughs) And then like, I might later when I'm a little lower on energy in the afternoon be like, oh gosh, again, you know? So um, I think you, for one thing, just honor how you're feeling at any time, right? Um, everybody's getting through this in a different way. Don't expect that you have to feel the same way that your partner does or your friend does or your colleagues do or whatever. Um, and they might very well have been feeling like that just an hour before and now they're good, you know? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, honor how you're feeling, go with it. You obviously want to take care of yourself and your immediate unit first, Um, and then, you know, start to, my Nana always said, my mom's mom, uh, always said, you know, the best, one of the best ways to help get yourself out of that headspace is to start thinking about how to help other people. Now that is not to diminish, of course, if you're, if you're feeling like true depression and anxiety and, and all of that, I have anxiety. I know how that goes. Um, so it's not to diminish that, but just sometimes if you get yourself wrapped up in just, oh gosh, all of this is so much, ah, stop and like focus on, okay, what is a problem that is solvable? And a, a lot of nonprofits are going to make that pretty easy for you, right? So obviously speaking for American Hiking Society, since that's where I work, um, you know, we have on our website, okay, here are the current issues right now. Here's how you can take action. And it's, and it's as easy as, just fill in your email address and press go and your zip code and press go. And there's an email already filled out. That's going to go to your correct senators and representative. Right. Mm. Um, so a lot, I think a lot of nonprofits depend, whichever one you want to support, whether it's in the outdoor industry, whether it's dealing with global hunger or what have you will usually make it easy for you to take that action. And that might be helpful, right? Just to go to the website and take that action. Even if you don't personalize the letter because you don't have the emotional energy to do that, you just use what they've got filled in. Okay, I actually, I took an action today. I did something that's actually gonna make a difference. And sometimes just starting to do it helps. Just like how looking at a blank sheet of paper when you have something due that you have to write is so much more daunting than when you have like a couple sentences on there and then you feel like, oh, okay, okay, now I can do this, you know? So. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I think like a... a core theme of everything that you just said was like action steps, right? There was projects, there was focus. When when you didn't have something to potentially like fill your time or give you any intentionality of something to think about and work towards, that's when you start to retract into that like uh, that that place of just, a, you know, not being able to come to grips emotionally with like what's at hand, right? But right. when but with some kind of even small action step and intentionality and focus on a project, then you start to fill your time with a with a reason to be thinking and working and and that gets you out of your own head. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious while we're on this like emotional capacity conversation, what you think the ingredients are around um, you know anybody who who works with or within a nonprofit innately has, some level of empathy that that can extend beyond themselves right and and like there's all different scores of empathy and people have it 
to to varying degrees and people that work in nonprofits have the ability to to extend it I think further than a lot of people and I'm curious what you feel like the 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 recipe is for those that can potentially work on extending empathy beyond themselves and their unit. Wow, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I think part of it, part of what, I mean, I wonder if it's almost the same answer as before, right? Where you just start to take some actions or read up on an issue and instead of just reading up on the issue and kind of spiraling into, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I, I can't even think about it. It's just too much. Find out who works on that issue and what are the actions they're taking and how, you know, what organization works on that issue and and join them and, and answer their calls to action. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's not really something, it's not something we can do right now. But clearly, when you when you volunteer, like when you go to a homeless shelter and volunteer or you go physically volunteer at a food bank or you do volunteering with your church or whatever, um, you know, when you kind of see who you're helping and connect with them on a personal level, um, that really helps build that empathy, too, because then it's not just an amorphous like problem, if you will, it's actual people that you're getting to know and people that you're interfacing with and real lives that you're changing. Um, and so, you know, I think that helps to build the empathy too. It's a hard question to answer because I do think, like you said, I just feel naturally inclined to it. I mean, there's a reason why I ended up on, along this career path, right? <laughs> um, there's a reason why um, yeah, there's a reason why I ended up here and a reason why I kind of, and this is going to sound terrible because it's going to make me make it sound like scientists don't have empathy, which isn't true. So blanket saying that right now <laughs> for all of my many scientist friends, but there's a reason why I kind of left, um, the pure science realm and moved into the more people to people realm because I do, because I do feel more of that kind of connection to humans, I guess. So Maybe there are just like certain people attracted to this to this kind of work, but I am in no way saying that people who work for nonprofits are better than other people. <laughs> I can just be really clear about that. No, to totally. Disclaimer, got it. <laughs> yeah. I will say that volunteer piece is so, I mean, I, I moved to Boulder last year and um, I, you know, wanted to get more involved with the trail system here and the, the, uh, you know, mountain space and parks and stuff. So, um, I volunteered one day for like trail cleanup and trail creation and holy hell, it is such hard work. I was like sore more than I've ever been for any other workout for a like week and a half. It was, <laughs> I had so much more respect for the people who work on that trail um, and the organization who put it together and, and puts it together consistently, then I think I ever would have had just being like, oh, this is a great trail to run on, you know? hundred percent. And you wouldn't believe like how many people don't even realize it takes people to build a trail. Like, yeah, I exactly. A lot of people don't think about that. They just hike along the trail. Aren't these nice little steps? Right. Oh, wow. Look at this. The irrigation's all taken. The drainage is all taken care of. Like natural yeah, stuff. About that. Right. They're just like hiking along. Right. Yeah. So I think people don't think about that. And that's a really good point, like for hikers to actually, I mean, you know, there are, there are volunteer trail crews all over the country. We, we run pro, those programs, but a lot of organizations do. Um, 
And so I think, yeah, just getting out there and working with the trail crew, or like I said, even working with your, like volunteering with your friends of whatever trail near you, um, around here, there's not as much trail work as there is like removing invasive species and stuff, which maybe is less Mm -hmm. sexy, but still really important. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that'll give you a really, and it also make you, not only will you appreciate that trail more, but in a way that is, that is like empathy, right? It is taking you outside of your space and your kind of use of the trail to I'm helping others be able to enjoy this trail and I'm helping make sure, you know, it's there for everybody. So, yeah, there, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the like white mountains, um, and the Appalachian mountain club in, in New Hampshire, but they, uh, I did not realize for some reason, there's a great hut system up there where there's, you know, places you can stay and then you can eat there for breakfast and lunch and dinner. Um, and it's not like a sexy resort, but it, it's a lodge, you know? And, um, I, for some reason, you know, I'd been hiking up there for years and I never really thought about like, how does the food get up here? How does someone bring this up there? And then I eventually saw people, uh, hiking who are, you know, this is their only job every single day is they have these huge things on their back and they hike up like three or four times a day with food. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, but I just always remember that as like, you didn't even think about how this happens. It just, you know, it doesn't organically happen. People have to work to make it happen. Absolutely. I I actually think that would be kind of a fun job. Summer job. Yeah. I always look at them and they're like, you know, they're listening to music and they are, they're like hustling and they have these amazing, like strong legs. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this looks like so much fun. I wish I did this in college. Yeah. I did a postdoc in Switzerland, lived there for three years. And I mean, the places where there are huts in the Alps, no idea how that hut was even built. Like how anything else. Yes, yeah. that too. Much less like a hot dinner and a beer when you get there. Right? Like, and kegs probably, you know, it's not like, it's like exactly. an agonal keg. I just picture like a Swiss man, like, or, or woman, you know, carrying up the huge keg over their head. Oh gosh. The Swiss like senior citizens are far faster than I am hiking too. Like <laughs> they have, they were born hiking. So yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that. that's such a, um, an interesting part of like just the the global citizenship, right? Is is most people don't think about how things happen, how things get there, right? Most people are just kind of like going down. It's it's like I don't know. It's like when 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 you're seeing like an ant path, right? And the ants are just going, and you put a stick down, and the ants just kind of they don't even stop to think about it. They just start to go around the stick, right? Where, where, and, and that's like how most of humanity is, is they're just like, they're not stopping to think about what is happening around them and how things are getting there. Um, so I just random metaphor that popped into my mind, but <laughs> no, that's really true. But I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's the thing to do for hike for hikers or whoever, right? Like as long as we're talking about the trail work and everything, yeah. or like the food being brought to the hiking hut or something like. Maybe just as you're hiking, stop and think about that. Huh, I wonder how all this happened. Like maybe do that in life a little more. You know, yeah. don't be an yeah. ant. Stop and <laughs> stop and think about it for totally. a minute. And there might be a problem there that needs to be solved, or someone's already solving it and you can help them. But Yeah. Re- regarding I think one of the the most polarizing um things for people to think about getting involved with nonprofits is they don't know what to get involved with. They don't know what cause they they necessarily want to help out. And I think you, you said it nicely earlier, like follow what, what your heart is called to do. Um, 
I feel like that could be taught earlier as well, right? It's like community service growing up is thought of at that age like a chore. It's like you've got to do your community service hours and you're not given like a real opportunity to, to discover what you care about helping. It's just you've got to rack up the hours to check the box. And then that that becomes maybe a crippling thing for people later on to think about, well, I didn't like raking leaves around the neighborhood. What, what would I like to contribute to? So, so like, let's take a step back and, and think about how, how does somebody who might not know, like, what they're caring about, what, what they want to help with, like, how, how do they overcome that checkpoint? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's a really good question. And it makes me wonder, like, here in, so I didn't, in high school, I was doing volunteering because I, uh, grew up as, I don't do it anymore, but grew up at, uh, as a Catholic and for uh, to be um, confirmed, you had to do to go through the confirmation process. You had to do a certain number of volunteer hours. Yep. Now I happen to love it. I had a, I had a great time. I love doing it. So that I kind of knew from the beginning, right? Um, but and here in Montgomery County, high schoolers and even to graduate high school have to have a certain number of volunteer hours under their belt. I hope that they're allowed to like explore their passions, try a few different things, and then see what they love and do that. I'm not sure how it gets chosen. We still have a toddler, so we aren't even thinking about high school yet. <laughs> um, but I think just, you know, once you're an adult, even if your, ex- your volunteer experience felt a little bit like drudgery for you then, um, and you're looking to, you're just trying to figure out, okay, what is my passion? Where, where can I help? I think if you think about all of the kind of problems and issues in the world right now, or put a different way, all of the opportunities to make things even better, um, that could be, that's too overwhelming right? That's, that's just too much at once. So maybe think about one way to do it is because we're all spending a heck of a lot of time on Facebook and stuff lately. Um, what are the things that are really capturing you on Facebook that kind of fire you up, right? That you realize, oh, gosh, that that makes me so mad or, oh, that really makes me like tear up or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Like, what's the thing that kind of gets you? And do you see a theme? Because I guarantee you there's a nonprofit that works on that issue, Um, you know, or just, you know, what are your hobbies? If it's, you know, if it's hiking, then, hey, American Hiking Society. But, um, you know, like, what are your hobbies? And then connect with that nonprofit, because even though it's like a hobby, there's probably something, there's probably volunteer work that needs to get done, just like, you know, building the trail. Um, And so, yeah, I think. I think those are the ways to kind of explore what do you love doing just as a hobby? How can you turn that into something that becomes a volunteer opportunity or a donation to a nonprofit or being part of their advocacy or what have you? Or if you don't know what those kind of hobbies are yet or, or don't have that crystallized or life is just like so busy that you're like, hobbies? What hobbies? I'm like, <laughs> going to work, I'm coming home, I'm taking care of my kids and make dinner, I go to bed. Like, you know, <laughs> I get that kind of there right now. Um, then, you know, then find that thing. What, what are those things, like I said, on Facebook or when you're, you know, listening to the news or what have you that really kind of capture you. Um, and there's a nonprofit that works on it. Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's challenging. And I, going back to the the beginning of volunteer service for for people in high school, and I, I had to do it in high school too. And I just think there's there has to be a better way to ingrain that in um, young kids versus a check the box activity. Do you, as um, American Hiking Society, what do you guys do with youth programming to help get them familiar with 
hiking, but also with, you know, trail systems and what goes into that and the importance of preservation and conservation? Yeah, it's a really good question. So we do, um, our primary focus isn't necessarily on youth of like that young an age. Um, what we do though, like through national trails day, for example, usually, so national trails day last year reached like 19 million people on social media. It's a big thing. Um, it's, you know, all across the country, there are usually events all over the country, like well over a thousand events, et cetera. This year, we're obviously turning it into virtual and we're making it all, you know, we're, uh, you're going to be signing a public lands protector pledge to be a public lands protector. And then we'll give you some ideas of events you can, or not events, um, actions you can take even from quarantine to help make sure that everybody has access to natural spaces, that public lands are protected, et cetera. But in the normal years when we actually have um, when we actually have events on the ground, we make sure that a lot of the you know a lot of those are family friendly. You can we have a you know a whole database where it's really easy to look up where those events are near you, et cetera. Um, but I would say that most of what we're trying to do, where our programming is really focused, is the kind of 18 to 40 year old range. So these are like the emerging leaders in the conservation and justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the outdoors kind of space. Um, and we really work with them to foster their leadership to, to um, they already have, I mean, they're already kind of leaders, but we're fostering it even more, building that out, working with them and through their social media channels, because usually these folks have a pretty big social media following to spread the advocacy message and to spread the message about stewardship and what it means to actually get out on, a, on the trail and do that work. And then they join some of our volunteer crews too. They lead National Trails Day events. <clears throat> and I think through the younger folks, seeing people that are, that are younger, that are kind of closer to their age and that aren't your typical aging trail crew, because that's happening across the country. We've got a predominantly white male aging trail crew. Mm. Um, so to see, so to see some of these younger folks that are closer to their age, but that they can like aspire to be like, Oh, actually that's, that's pretty close within my grasp. Um, I think really helps inspire that next generation and gives them different ways that they can get involved. Right. Because they might not because of disability or access or whatever, they might not be able to do the whole trail crew thing. Right. <laughs> but they might very well be able to be an advocate and they might really be creative on social media and they can see, Oh, wow. If I'm really creative on social media, I could be an amazing advocate or I can like really rally people or I can create a local event around this issue. Um, so yeah, I think that's how one like key way that we reach those younger audiences, even if we don't necessarily have programming specifically for kids, if that makes sense. So yeah, definitely. How how is the uh, society like you using the the next gen trail leader you know ambassador uh, program to uh, like extend the message right now? Like, what is the message right now that you're asking your leaders to put out there to share on social to rally? How, how what, like what what are you guiding them to help promote in the moment? Yeah. So um, it, var it varies by whatever's happening at the moment, right? Like, it's, is there a piece of legislation moving that we can that we can make sure gets through to the finish line, et cetera? So just like with any of these advocacy nonprofits, our calls to action are going to change throughout the year. Um, I would say right now, uh, most of what we're doing is like kind of behind the scenes with the Hill staff because um, because the you know they're not back in session yet and the Hill staff are all working from home like everybody else. Um, but 
the next phase, I think, of a big public call to action will be for National Trails Day. And so then what they'll be promoting is to become a public lands protector. Take this pledge online. And then in, as part of that pledge, you say, I'm going to take at least one action in 2020 to improve access for all to natural spaces and to protect public lands. And then we give you a list of like the actions you can take. And uh, one of them, of course, is going to include sign this call to action to push forward the Outdoors for All Act and Transit to Trails Act, which are both helping improve that access. Um, we also run, we did in 2018, a big vote public lands campaign around the 2018 midterms. And so what that does is um, gives you, it's on our website, um, gives you education around all of the topics that matter around protecting public lands and access. And the, um, so you can look up any of the issues. You can find out uh, how your current senators and representative actually voted on those issues, what their track record is, because usually they are in the election, right? They're, they're, they're the incumbent running against the, the challenger. Um, and you can, uh, we created a scorecard. So obviously we can't score anybody. We're a C3. We can't promote a certain candidate, but we create a scorecard that you can fill out. You can easily fill out looking at all of the issues on our site um, and that kind of thing. And so we're, we're running that again this year and we'll really start ramping that up after National Trails Day and that'll help people be able to get involved and feel like they're able to, to make movement on something the, on the, in the election that isn't just about um, COVID. Mm, yes, that'll be nice to focus on anything but COVID yes. at some point. Yeah. Um, well, I, I would love to just kind of take a step, maybe 17 steps back, really, and talk a little bit about, you know, how you came to this work, because it sounds like and from what we've done from our, our research of your LinkedIn, um, is that you're, you're kind of on this path for the entirety of your professional career. I mean, everything that is on there, it has to do with, um, Bono. Uh, Bono. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all Thank Bono. You. It's yeah, all for so Bono. <laughs> always just been a big Bono fan. Um, <laughs> but everything on there has to do with basically, um, solving a, a global crisis, if you will. Um, and so I'd love to hear, you know, did you feel a certain calling to that right off the, out the gates? Did your parents kind of promote that type of, um, thinking when you were young? I'd love to hear where that kind of spark started. Yeah, sure. I feel like I have like the weirdest resume on the planet. <laughs> it's very so, impressive, <laughs> I will say. Weird, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, so yes, I mean, my parents definitely inculcated a sense of like, you know, you need to be helping others, like get out of your own head. You're, you're, you know, and, and definitely they made it very clear that like we were growing up middle class in a home that my parents are like still married and manly and madly in love 50 years later, however long it's been, whatever, like life was good for us. Right. So they, so they definitely inculcated in us a sense of paying attention to the fact that we were privileged compared to many folks who are not and help solve those injustices was really important. Um, and so I, I knew that growing up, I kind of had that ethic in my head growing up. Um, somehow I ended up becoming a scientist, <laughs> maybe because my dad is a geologist and I don't know, but I, uh, I became a scientist and I was working on research science and, and, you know, was on some NASA Mars missions and, and that was really cool. And I loved just science for science sake. And in many ways, that's incredible to just make these discoveries. Um, 
and really important. I do want to emphasize that science just for science sake is really important. Um, but I found that my favorite part of that was actually when I was helping organize people around an issue or a topic or something that needed to be solved in the science realm more than it was when I was just sitting in front of the computer looking at images of Mars for hours at a time and trying to figure something out, right? <laughs> um, so, so then I, you know, I did my postdoc in Switzerland. I came back to the U.S. and I was working at the Air and Space Museum at, at their research center. And the market crashed because this was, what, 2008, 2009? And that's when I was supposed to be applying for professorship positions. And they all canceled their searches. Like when even Harvard couldn't afford to hire, I was like, oh, shoot, like this isn't <laughs> happening, right? And I got close at a couple of places, but they all canceled. Um, but I knew there was, because one of my friends had done it, this uh, fellowship for from the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS, for PhD scientists to work in the government. The idea being to help give the government like an infusion of science-based policy and for scientists to take that back into the science world about, oh, here's how we can like move policy on the Hill when normal academics, including me at the time, didn't really think about that stuff. I was worrying about the science. Um, and I was supposed to work on climate change because I had worked on climate change on Mars kind of issues. And so that's what I was supposed to work on at the State Department. And then two weeks before, they're like, no, you're working on food security. And I was like, like mold on food and stuff. And they're like, no, no, food security means hunger. <laughs> <laughs> food insecurity is when you're hungry. You're uh, you're suffering from hunger. It's not food safety. That's different. Um, <laughs> so you learned a lot your first week. <laughs> so yeah. I learned a lot my first two weeks. And that was when I found my passion. But it was by accident, right? I didn't know that that was my passion. I thought I was going to be working on climate change. And then they're like, just kidding. You're working on global hunger and you're going to be helping to negotiate stuff at the UN and Rome and everything. And I was like, mind totally blown. Um, and I loved it. And then that's where that's where I kind of stuck to. <clears throat> and then, though, and I've always been like, I'm from Montana. I've always like loved being outside. That's what you do there. What else do you do for fun there, right? <laughs> um, and so, um, and so then, yeah, I I was working at the wine campaign, and my husband is on. He's taken some. He's a Knowles grad, and he's on a Knowles listserv, and he was like did you know that there's an American hiking society and they're looking for an executive director? And I'm like, what now? <laughs> like a dream job, sign me up. And then that's how I ended up here. Wow. So a lot, kind of like by accident, by happenstance, but you know what? I always tell people, I don't think, I really don't think you'd have to have the five or 10 year plan because inevitably that's probably gonna go to pot anyway. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, do the thing that sounds really fun next because you will be really good at it if you think it's really fun and if you love it. I love that. I, I'm so passionate about like, just taste everything you can, right? Have every experience you can. And and like, that's your five-year plan, right? It's not that you're gonna get to this one place and, and you're gonna be happy there. It's that like, yeah. What are all the things that you can do along the way that make you happy that by the time five years rolls around, you're where you need to be, not where you were designed to be? Totally. hundred percent. I'm, pro I'm probably, I've got all these like job coaches out there going, no, Kate, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you need a framework. I know I'm kind of like, I just did my five-year planning like last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Delete that spreadsheet. Take, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs>
So I, I would love to get your, your perspective, you know, we're working now with your dream job, right? Um, one of the values of American Hiking Society, trails are for everyone, right? Which, which I think our whole like outdoor community wholeheartedly believes. But at the same time, I think we all struggle with like, um, you know, that when you find a great crag and all of a sudden like people start flocking there, it's the same as like the secret surf spot or like, you know, on my run this morning, like there was more people on, on the trail across the street than, than ever. And part of me was like, where, where are you coming from? Why are you here? Right. And it's like, I think back to a quote I heard where like people hate traffic. People are traffic. Like you are traffic. Right. And, and so like, how do you balance that value of trails are for everyone with this like innate need as an outdoorsy person to find your place, right? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, coming from Montana, we make a lot of jokes about like telling people that it's not a very nice place. Trust me, you don't want to go there just to keep everybody out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, even though it's the best state in the country, of course, but, um, you know, I think <clears throat> One of the things that we often say is that the more people that love the outdoors, the more people are going to, the more people there are to help you protect it. And the more people there are to help make sure that the wild spaces stay wild, that the, that the trails are taken care of, that you can go climbing, that you can go skiing, that you can, you know, that, that, um, <clears throat> that we can continue to do all of these things we love because there are more people out there protecting it. There are more people in this like army of people who want to protect it, the outdoors and protect outdoor recreation and promote it. Um, so to me, in a sense, it can only be a good thing. There's, there's no being exclusive only leads to, it only leads to bad things. It only leads to fewer ideas in that pool of ideas for how we make all of this happen and how we protect everything and how we move things forward. Um, it only means that there are fewer people helping us. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me to be exclusive. That doesn't mean then you get on the like small, on the local scale, right? That doesn't mean that you shouldn't, that we might not need to in some ways limit the number of people on a certain trail at any given time, right? But that becomes, that's more of a like local issue. And then you have to make sure, okay, as we're instituting this, how are we doing it in an equitable way? Mm. Um, so it isn't just like those of us <laughs> who are of privilege and have been doing this for a long time are the only ones that get access, right? But I think that I, I really truly believe that the more people that love the outdoors, the, the better it gets. Yeah. I, I struggle with this personally uh, from a selfish level because it's kind of the same feeling I get when it's like New Year's resolution time and there's so many more people in the gym and I'm like, where were you all <laughs> during, uh, you know, during uh, the entire year? And I have to take a moment to step back and be like, well, it's great that everyone's getting their goals in and they're excited about the new year. <laughs> I have to like talk myself through that process. Um, so I'm not a good example, but, um, it's good to have a refresher on let's just, you know, it's all, it's all good things. It's all good things when there's more people involved. And I think we just find the way to share, right? Yeah. You're in order to make sure that there is, um, kind of equitable access that, that, that all of the people who love it now and who want to love it or who have the great potential to love it and don't even know yet that they are all able to be part of it means that we're all going to have to learn how to share. And some of us are going to have to give up a little bit of our privilege. And if some of that privilege is having that kind of exclusive access, then so be it. 
but the world is yeah. still going to be the better for it. And, you know, the more we get used to that new normal, it's a better new normal. And I think the happier we'll all be. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to come out of this crisis in a new, better normal. <laughs> Yes, I hope so as well. I, it's been interesting to think about what this will all mean and, and what the new normal will be, because it's hard to predict from just an individual standpoint, you know, um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> um, the world has certainly changed forever. It'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see how. Yeah, I well, yeah, I think people will definitely stop using Zoom as much. I will say that. <laughs> the, I, you know, I actually think people are going to use it more. I think actually now that there's going to be, I think it's actually going to be great for our carbon footprints because yeah. I think more and more folks are realizing, oh, I don't have to actually take that plane ride for a one-day meeting with someone or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think there is going to be a lot more mm -hmm. meeting up like this. I still obviously, like, I'm an extrovert. I'm a people person. I want to see actual people. <laughs> I'm a hugger. Yeah. Like, you know, this is really hard <laughs> in some ways. But I think in a lot of ways, we'll all be a little more connected because maybe we'll spend less time on the phone and email when we normally would, even if people are traveling about the same, but we'll actually like video chat with each other. So we'll actually end up with more connection. Uh, I've yeah. definitely noticed some of the folks who like avoided video chatting before are now kind of doing it because it's a problem. I'm like, isn't this nice? We see each other. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that it, um, I think it's opened up a world of possibility for a lot of people. Uh, like even my, my wife is a figure skating coach and the rinks have been closed. But uh, but now she's doing what I had had like talked to her or suggested for years is like, how do you coach off the ice? Right. And she's been doing these stretch classes and jump classes and stuff with her students now uh, via Zoom. And that was something that didn't seem possible in that industry. And I, I think that that's, that will ripple across every industry, that there are possibilities and new efficiencies. And, and I think that um, remote work was already on the rise and, and is now like has exploded. And I think that a lot of industries won't go back to the office. I think that they will mm -hmm. they will now see that like people are happier with like this blended kind of work life situation and and like there's increased efficiencies and lower overhead and and you know so I, I think that that will for sure continue. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And I think you know in our nonprofit world um it also especially for the even smaller nonprofits um, that can't afford to do the travel to network and everything. This is making it all, this is making all of the networking and relationship building a lot more equitable, which is also really important. Well, that's interesting. I didn't think about it in that way. Wow. Cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it took me a second. I was like, wow, that's okay. You know, it takes these conversations sometimes, Kate, to get me, <laughs> get me thinking really. Um, but yeah, I, I think from a Zoom perspective, I was more thinking about like the, um, you know, all the big family Zooms, which are great. But there's this thing about Zoom fatigue that I'm just like, I can't smile for so many hours of the day because I'm on video, you know. <laughs> so hopefully uh, we'll figure out a way to kind of blend them both. But um, I'd love to hear from your perspective, um, you know, when you're thinking about the the future of AHS and I, I, we know what the you know mission is overall, but for you and in, in your role, like what would you like to see happen? I know we're not supposed to talk about five-year goals, but what would you like to see happen for the organization in the next three to five years? <laughs> 
Um, Blown it out. I'm like, yeah. we're going back to the five-year goal, guys. You can't <laughs> say no to it. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. In some contexts, have a five-year goal. I don't want to like throw it. I, I don't want to scare all the planners out there. It's okay. Don't hyperventilate. You can have a plan. Good for a business. Good for a business. Be flexible for personal, right? Exactly. And for a business. We have to be awfully flexible right now during this crisis. Um, well, what I would love to see for AHS is for us to continue to grow our advocacy voice. I'd really love to see, and and by that, I mean, not only are we, um, you know, more of a kind of household name, if you will, like more folks across the country realize, oh, this, I can really get involved, be part of the advocacy, even do boots on the ground trail work if I want to, if I get involved with American Hiking Society, but also that we are bringing into the fold a broader and broader diversity of folks. And by that, I, by diversity, I mean like across the board, right? In ethnicity, in body type, in ability, in background, in socioeconomic status and what have you, that we are kind of representing what America really is. Um, and I really want to make sure because so many organizations in the outdoor industry and, you know, I don't know how much this is true in some other industries, but definitely in the outdoor industry, we all know the problem of a lot of our, you know, members or followers end up being kind of, you know, middle class white males of a certain age. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really want to make sure that we are representing and bringing into the fold and bringing part of bringing into our advocacy because we want to empower the hiking community to do its advocacy rather than we're always speaking for the hiking community. Um, that's a subtle difference, but that's really our goal. And so we want to make sure that that hiking community is broader and broader and more and more inclusive, because like I said, the more people that are part of that, that are part of that movement, the better things happen. It's a so great mission. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, I think I think that's true of most industries, unfortunately, right now. I mean, the other side of my world is is in tech, and uh, you know, growing a tech startup, and that just is the nature of that landscape on the broad majority now too. Like most founders, business owners in Silicon Valley, look a certain way. Um, so I think that that innately across every industry needs to be something that's on the conscious forefront for for any leader to help catalyze the change right and embrace the diversity that exists out there and the talent pool that comes with it for sure and i think you know of uh, just going back to our earlier conversation we also want to build a in the kind of next generation in the rising generations a stewardship ethic and that stewardship can be it can be the like physical i'm physically giving back on the trail but advocacy is part of it. That's kind of part, that is part of stewarding your public lands and your trails and all these natural spaces you care about. So building in that ethic of stewardship, building in that kind of knowledge that when you're not going out there and hiking blindly, you realize when you're out there hiking that someone had to make sure that that place, that that place was even protected so you could put a hiking trail through it, that a hiking trail had to be built, it had to be maintained, and then someone is continuously fighting to fund it and protect it. And for that to just be built into the hiking ethic is really important. For for people out there that are you know in, involved with other nonprofits and or maybe they're they're starting nonprofits of their own and trying to get the word out and trying to share and and get people rallied around their mission, right? How do you like 
how do you walk the line between feeling like you're on a soapbox preaching to people versus like being uh, more inclusive and getting people to understand like what you see in your heart, right? Yeah, you know, I understand. We all like as humans naturally have this tendency to um, to like not want to fundraise, right? It's like, oh, I feel weird, like asking people for money. Or you feel like if I if I talk really passionately about my cause, I, I'm on this soapbox and people are going to be like, stop preaching at me. And that's kind of what we, I think almost all of us, like even those of us who are extroverts and been doing this for a long time, like innately think that. But you have to, you have to like get past that because in reality, here's what people are hearing, right? People are, are, are thinking, oh my gosh, I really want to help. I really care about this issue. I really want to help. How can I help? And if no one is telling you, well, we're raising money around this specific, you know, problem that we're trying to solve. And here's what's going to, here's what we're going to do with that money. Then you don't know that you can help solve it by donating to that cause. Right? So people actually do want to hear that. They want to hear you tell them, here's how you can help. And here's how, if you gave $25, or $50 or $500, what would happen with that money and how you could help solve the problem. And as far as like, you know, getting on your soapbox, if you're speaking about it passionately and speaking from your heart, it doesn't sound like a soapbox from the outside. Mm. People, people connect to that because we're humans and we connect to other humans who are feeling passionate about something. And is everybody going to feel passionate about that topic? No, but that's okay. There are a lot of things in this world that need to be supported, right? <laughs> but you're also, but you are going to find, you are definitely going to find people that are really passionate about that too. You're not the only one who is, right? So I don't think ever, don't feel like you're on your soapbox. If you speak about it authentically and from the heart, people will connect with that. And then, you know, obviously we could go down a long road of how do you build the networking and everything to get your nonprofit started? What are all the legal issues you need to do to make sure you get classified as a C whatever? Um, All of that, you know, that's hard. And there's a lot of there's a lot of inequity in that because a lot of it is the networking and there's inequity and networking built in and everything. So um, getting a nonprofit off the ground from the start is a beautiful and amazing thing. I've never done it from the from the beginning, and I am amazed and in awe of the people who do because that is really hard to do, and that is definitely a passion project. Like you don't, you're not in that for the money, and you're not in it for an easy job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really try, like when we at AHS here know of nonprofits that are trying to get off the ground, then we try to give them a shout out in social media. We try to help them network when we go to like outdoor retailer or whatever. And I want to do that more. So I'm putting that out there now. If you are trying to get a nonprofit started in the outdoor world, come talk to me. My Rolodex, if you will, which I've never used because I am also too young for that. But <laughs> um, you know the terminology, though. You got um, it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know. Our- use that well whatever but you know my contact list is yours such as it is obviously i'm still new to the outdoor industry i've only been around for a few years but um but yeah i always want to help those who are trying to get that started because it's a it's a hard thing to do but it's an incredible thing to do so what what's the best way for people to get in contact with you email me <laughs> k van was v-a-n-w-a-e-s at americanhiking.org there you go. Awesome. And how can people get involved with American Hiking Society? 
just go to our website and you'll see right away. If you want to become a member, you can go there. If you want to donate, go ahead and donate. If you just want to go, hmm, how can I take action on whatever the latest issue is? It'll be pretty obvious from our website. So go check it out and that'd be great. And get started by, we'll put out the press release about National Trails Day around May 7th-ish. It's coming out soon. So um, kind of look out for that in your various news sources and take the Public Lands Protector Pledge. And that'll be, we'll give you easy things you can do from home, even in quarantine. Beautiful. I love that. Emily, do you have a question? <laughs> um, yeah. So when we get to the end of every episode, um, we ask, uh, the same question of every guest, and I feel like I should be scared because you're both laughing. I know it's just, no, it's just <laughs> funny because he, it, I'm like, I thought he was taking it, and then I'm taking it. <laughs> we we never um, we never decide who's going to have the final yeah. prompt, and then it's like sometimes I just like unexpectedly throw it over. It's all good. <laughs> Even if it's awkward, I can handle it. I got this. Oh no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> and it's it's really just I'm going to two prong it a little bit, which is what we've been trying to do recently, and so. It's what does Stoke mean to you? And then what does the pursuit of Stoke mean to you? I, I think that's funny. So I'm going to sound totally lame because in my world, Stoke isn't really a word I use very often. <laughs> I obviously know what it means, but it's not like a, like a part of my vocabulary because yes, like I love, I, you know, Hiking and backpacking isn't exactly ever like associated with Stoke, right? I mean, I love to ski and I love to climb, but I wouldn't add an er at the end of those because otherwise true skiers and true climbers would be like, yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> um, but so so it's funny to me because I'm like this old funny daddy like Stoke. But um, you're, you're somewhere, think... somewhere in between Rolodex and Stoke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that's so lame. <laughs> um, <laughs> To me, uh, I guess for me, what it really means is um, just the excitement of it, it can be, you know, the, the excitement of whatever it is you're doing, that passion that you were talking about, Jonathan, of like getting up on your stoke box, on your soapbox, like you are stoked at your stoke box. You're stoked. You box. are stoked <laughs> about what you're speaking about, right? I am stoked about AHS's mission and about getting more and more people involved with it. Um, I, for, I forget what the other question was. It was, what does stoke mean to you? Uh, and, and, then, and then the pursuit. pursuit of Stoke. Yeah. The pursuit of Stoke. Yeah. See, that's very, that's very deep because that almost gets back to Jonathan's question of how do you find that thing that you're passionate about? Right. And I think what that is, is don't like, don't go out there going, I have to find, you know, I have to pursue Stoke. I have to find what it is that I feel like really passionate about. And that's my project during like the quarantine or whatever. Right. <laughs> you need to let it come to you naturally. And you do that by doing the things you love, like go out for a run, go out for a walk, get some outside time, read what you love to read. It will come to you organically. Something will strike you and don't panic. If it hasn't struck you yet, let it come to you organically because the things that come to you organically and the things that you really, really feel in your heart are the things you're going to be the best at volunteering for. They're going to be, you're going to be the best at like working at that issue or what have you. That's what you'll be best at. And so that's what you'll put more into the world and do more and do more for the world. If you wait to find that thing that you love. That's perfect. Everybody, if you are missing a sock, don't search for it. <laughs> It's easier to find in the couch when you're not looking for it. <laughs>
there, exactly. there you go. And and uh, and if you feel like you've found it and you have that thing to care that you care about and want to share, get on your Stoke box. Yes, the AHS mission is like my sock. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the analogy. That's where yeah. we Jonathan loves metaphors. I'm I'm so into connecting metaphors and analogies to like I just think it's fun. It's fun. I'm a visual guy. It is. It Sometimes is. I just don't know where it's going and I'm like, where where is he gonna land this one? And it always lands. It's I will awesome. say. Back. yeah yeah <laughs> thanks so, so much kate we really appreciate it all right thanks y'all really hope you enjoyed that episode before you go it would mean the world to us if you dropped a review of the podcast wherever you're listening and also if you're not subscribed yet definitely hit that button so you can tune in each week and not miss an episode but also don't miss out on the conversations happening inside our member facebook group just search the stokecast podcast on facebook and join up or reach out to say hi on socials at ehalls at jonathan ronzio or at the stokecast thanks again and stay stoked